pastor's back there trying to run things. It would just be a hot mess is what it would be. So good morning, everybody. My name is not John Anderson or Chris Kimston. My name is Pastor Andy Hermanson, and I am uh, one of the pastors at Lutheran Church of Hope. I serve primarily at our West Des Moines campus uh, as the men's ministry director, and it is my pleasure to be here uh, with you this morning. I love any chance I can get to the Come to Des Moines campus because I used to work here. Uh, back in the day, like four years ago, I figured it out. I was driving down here this morning and you know, trying to stay on the road slash do the math and uh, used to be uh, on staff here at this campus and God called me uh, out to the West Des Moines campus to help with some new things out there uh, and have loved that, but dearly miss being part of this uh, campus. You guys are the rowdy campus. I just want you to know that. So uh, you picked a good place to be this morning, and uh, we are proud of you for coming to church despite uh, all the things that could get in your way for that. So uh, if you're joining us for the first time this morning, want to welcome you here as well. want to echo everything that you've heard and you've already felt this morning. This is a place to be because uh, God is here. God's spirit is alive and well, and we're excited. We believe it's no accident that you're here. Uh, and I believe, uh, even for me this morning, God has something for all of us because this story that we gather around, the reason why we're here this morning, never gets old. Amen? Amen. God's love never gets old. And the power of God's love and uh, the extent he's gone to rescue us and have a relationship with us never gets old as well. I'm also excited that you're here this morning because we are wrapping up. Can you believe it? March is almost here. This is the last week of our February sermon series. It's called Losing My Bad Religion, and we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. And uh, Paul was a guy, maybe you know a little bit about his story. He uh, hated Christians, was against Christianity, and then uh, God got a hold of him, wrecked his life in the best possible way, turned him around, and then used him to provide a huge chunk of the Bible, his writings, his letters to the, the churches that he founded and planted and, and kind of oversaw throughout his lifetime is a huge part of the Bible. And it has incredible relevance for us today because uh, that you're going to find as we dig into it here, the church in Corinth, the, 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 we, the letter to Corinth, that's why we call it Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, was just kind of a hot mess themselves. In fact, actually, they turned into a bunch of Christians gone wild. <laughs> there was a whole bunch of stuff going on there that would maybe even make you blush if you really dig into the story. By the way, just as a side note, if anybody ever tells you the Bible is PG, like you just need to read it a little more closely, right? It's a, it's a very crazy, uh, interesting book to read. So just a lot of stuff going on. And what happens is Paul realizes this and he understands that this church has lost its way. And that's a temptation for all of us in the Christian faith, right? I mean, in different moments, we can put our priorities in different things. We can get disconnected from God. We can get distracted with uh, the temptations of the world or, or uh, our own brokenness, whatever that looks like. And so this church in Corinth has lost its way, and that's why it speaks to us this morning and this whole month of February as well, is because we can lose our way as well. And so when we talk about losing our bad religion, there. There are all these ditches that we can end up in as Christians, and, and we want to talk about uh, another one of those as we have been all month. So I want to put the outline of uh, 1 Corinthians up here. If you've never been to the, the website BibleProject.com, if you want to learn more about the Bible, it's, it's like seminary-level stuff for free. I love, I love this book. And one of the things is I'm a visual learner, and, uh, and so they create these visual outlines of the entire books. And no, I don't expect you to read every detail. That would be impossible. So... Some of you are like, man, did I, was I supposed to bring my binoculars this morning to be able to read this thing? Uh, but I just wanted you to see this because at the very top there where it says 1 Corinthians, uh, you're going to get Paul's intention with this book, and it's that, that they would see every part of their life through the gospel. Everybody say gospel. gospel. 
gospel. It means good news. It's this powerful message. As it says at the bottom, uh, the authors of this define it as an announcement about Jesus that opens up a new reality. And that's what Paul's after is that they'll, they'll take this new reality of the gospel and they'll apply it to every single part of their life. And so that's what we've been doing these last few weeks in this series. Uh, Paul knows they're struggling with divisions, right? If only that applied to us today. Oh gosh, I guess we'll have to, right? I mean, we struggle with that. And so this Bible has meaning this. There's challenges they're facing with their attitudes towards sex. They're, they're discriminating against each other and using food as a weapon towards uh, each other and struggling with some of the rules around that and what does it look like to live in freedom. They can't seem to get along in worship services, and so Paul has to address that. But today in this sermon series, as we wrap this up, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to talk about the granddaddy of them all, right? I mean, the, one of the key issues when it comes to living out our Christian faith, it's the resurrection. He talks about all these other things, but he saves the best for last. Do me a favor this morning. Turn the person next to you and elbow him if you have to wake him up already and say, he saved the best for last, baby. Right? It's true. It's true. And so he talks about the resurrection. And really what Paul's going to get after here this morning is one of the fundamental questions I think that any single one of us needs to answer in our life. He's talking about this question, what do I believe? But more specifically, and this is, this is the question, as we dig into the resurrection this morning, I want to put in front of you and ask you, and maybe you've been a Christian all your life, right? Maybe you grew up believing in God before you even realized that you had a choice to believe in God, right? I mean, that's probably part of my story, kids dragging, or my parents dragging me to church and, you know, making me sing solos in the church choir, but don't worry, that didn't scar me at all. My, I'll process that later, right? But, but this question, more specifically, not just what do I believe, but did Jesus rise from the dead, right? And not just that question, do I believe, did Jesus rise from the dead, right? But how do you know, how do you know? What is it when you think about that, when you think about the foundation that your faith is built on, how do you know that Jesus was raised from the dead? This is one of these questions that uh, we, from time to time, may think about, but there's this possibility here that we can fall into the trap of either going either way with this. And one, we just take it for granted, and we never think critically about it, and we just, right, we just kind of just swallow it whole and never never really process it or own it and begin to live in the reality that Jesus is raised from the dead, right? Or we doubt and, and just give in to that as well. And, and so what I want to do this morning is kind of address some of this and just say this question is one that's worth engaging. It's worth digging into. But if we're not careful, one of the ditches we can end up with in our faith is we can build it completely on something else. It's so easy for us, especially as Christians living in this American culture, right, to build our faith on something else other than the resurrection, whether that's our own comfort, right? I mean, there are so many people, myself included, to feel the temptation to build our faith on the foundation that it's all about feeling comfortable. God's here to help me get, get me out of trouble when I need him, and then I'll just kind of put him back on the shelf, right? I mean, it, there's a possibility for some of us, though, our faith has become all about how much knowledge we can consume, right? The, the more we understand, the more we study our Bible, well, the better we feel about our faith. That's, that's what uh, helps us connect to God, right? And that's valuable, important work for sure. I mean, that's, that's critical to following Jesus, right? But it's not the foundation. It's not the very bedrock of our faith. And for some of us, our relationship with God has been completely oriented around how well we behave, right? If we follow the rules, if we do good things, well, then we're good, right? I mean, we don't need to worry about this other story about this crazy Jewish rabbi that 
was killed and came back to life, do we? We can get wrapped up in our comfort, in our knowledge, and in our obedience. Here is the thing, though, your comfort, your knowledge, and your obedience. One small problem with those three things. They can't bring you back from the dead, right? They cannot, they do not have the power to bring us back from the dead. And so if we're not careful, we can lose our way. And this is why Paul is writing to the Corinthians, because they have lost their way. And, and I, maybe you can't relate to a pastor wanting to reach out to his congregation, the people that he loves. But if you're a parent or if you're a part of a family, I mean, if you have somebody in your life you care about, right? And you start to, to see them making bad choices and going a different direction, of course, you're going to go after them, right? You're going to pursue them. You're going to call them back. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 15. It's why, if you got your Bible this morning, crack it open. Let's read this together. I just want to go through this passage that we just heard beautifully read a little bit ago. But this is what Paul is saying. He, he comes to them and, and with a father's heart, right? With a pastor's heart, he comes to them and he says, why are some of you saying that there is no resurrection from the dead? Why are you saying this, right? Paul is frustrated and not not just because his heart is broken that, that this church, these people are wandering away from the gospel that he shared with them. I mean, this good, life-changing news, right? But they're also kind of just, they're kind of calling out Paul and saying, wow, he's a liar, right? Because he's been going around saying this, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. For, in verse 13, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And so he's going to go through here and he's going to begin to add layer after layer to help them see you need the resurrection. This is not a thing. This is not a part of the Christian faith, but this is the essential foundation of the Christian faith. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, Paul says. But then he goes even more and he turns it back around them and he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then your faith is useless, right? What's the point, Paul is saying? And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we said that Christ was raised from the grave. And if Christ has not been raised, jumping down to verse 17, he says, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost, right? All these people. And what he's trying to do now is tug on their heartstrings and say, don't you understand the big picture, right? You're just, you're just casually throwing out this belief that this resurrection may not have happened, but don't you see the consequences of that, Paul is saying? And if our hope is only for this life, he, he goes on to say, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else in the world. Because see, if you and I, if we sat down with Paul and got to have a cup of coffee with him, I guarantee you he'd start talking about Jesus, right? I mean, he wouldn't be able to talk about anything else, maybe tents or something. He was a tent maker, right? But he was obsessed. When I think of, the, of Paul, two words that I think of, all in, Right? He poured his heart and soul, his life into this. He gave up everything else to be on mission for Christ. And so if all of this is in vain, if all this just goes and disappears, well, Paul has an incredible vacuum in his life. He has wasted everything that he has, including his time and his energy and his life. Right? He says, we are to be more pitied than anyone else. How in are you this morning? How much of your life have you built on this idea that we can't find Jesus' body anywhere? Paul's reminding them of this truth, though, and, and as he's pleading with them, he's laying this foundation. What he's going to do, he's going to cap it off in verse 20, and he's going to say this, and let's read these words on the screen together this morning. Paul writes, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. 
Right? So he's saying this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen. But then he comes this word and it's a conjunction. It's but, right? B-U-T. I had a mentor one time that told me but uh, in a sentence you can delete everything before it and just focus on what comes right after it. And it's an acronym and it stands for behold the ultimate truth. Right? Paul's going to connect with these people that he knows and he loves and he's going to tell them all these things that this, this path they're walking down towards, but then he's going to say, but in fact, what I want you to know is that Christ has been raised from the dead, right? I'm pretty sure he meant to put an exclamation point after that, but I don't know, right? And not only that, he's going to say he's the first, right? Jesus is the first, but there will be other resurrections, including yours, if you're willing to attach yourself to this story. What Paul is saying uh, to the Corinthians way back when, I think he's saying to us today is that this resurrection, this resurrection, it matters, right? I mean, it, it matters. It has power. If you look around you, if there is no resurrection, then what we have right now, this is the best that it's going to get, right? Maybe there's a roll of the dice and maybe our circumstances will change. Maybe the things that are, that are weighing us down as we walk in here this morning, maybe those things will go away. Maybe they won't. But if there is no resurrection, Paul is saying, well, then we don't have any other choices. The story that we've been handed is the story that we get. It's all on us, unless there's something else out there. And of course, Paul is saying there's something else out there. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, now maybe, maybe you love reading the scriptures and maybe you get that, but I was thinking about it this week and I was thinking, okay, if Paul were here in 2019 with us, like how would he communicate this? And not just, not just to... Uh, those of us, but maybe younger generations as well. And I came across, you know, this idea this week. I thought, man, if Paul were here and if he were preaching this to the church of Lutheran Church of Hope in, in Des Moines, Iowa today, maybe you know what he'd do? He'd probably work in memes. Do any of you love memes like on the internet? You know, those pictures that are hilarious to me, right? Here we go. Hashtag YOLO, right? You'll only live once. If I need to translate it for you, don't feel bad. Uh, my kids had to explain this to me a little bit. YOLO, right? You only live once. And then Jesus is the only guy they can come back and say, ha, ah, just kidding, right? Jesus does not live once. In fact, Jesus has lived twice. He died, and then he was raised again. And so he's here. This, what Paul is saying and what this meme is even trying to say, although maybe there could be better ways to say it, he's saying the resurrection is a big deal. It is a big deal. Because unless we have the resurrection, then we have no gospel. There is no good news. Without the resurrection, what he's saying is that there is no hope, right? Hope has always been defined for me as this audacious belief that the best is yet to come. And I love that this is what our church is called, right? Because is, is there anything else that this world needs more right now than hope, than is a bigger story, right? That any one of us need is, is, is something that will allow us to keep putting one foot in front of the other to say, we're not alone on this planet, right? We're not alone in this journey, but we have tools at our disposal. There is not just something, but it's someone who's willing to fight for us, right? To walk with us, to help us, to lead us, to, to love us way too much to leave us the way that we are, instead to rescue us from our sins. What Paul's saying, if you don't have the resurrection, then you don't have power. You are completely on your own. I would go so far as to say, if you remove the resurrection, from Christianity, then it's no longer Christianity. And because I'm just a visual guy, I just like object lessons, right? And I was going to bring my little set, and I forgot it last night, and John's like, oh, we have one in the back, and look at this, right? You guys ever played Jenga? I love Jenga. I'm horrible at it. My kids beat me all the time. But what a perfect analogy for the Christian faith today is we talk about the centrality and the power of the resurrection, 
right? You see, there are all these different ideas. Of course, you can't just start with the one on top, right? But here's what happens. We go through life. We have all these different voices coming at us and tell us, are you sure you believe that? What about this? Oh, what if it's not like that? But what if it looks something like this? I mean, and what happens as we go through life, we begin to take out these different ideas of the faith. Our faith begins to look differently, right? I mean, and there's all kinds of different things like this. That one's going to totally make it all fall. So I'm not going to pull that one yet. Right, but we go through life and we're constantly being challenged with all of these choices that we have to make about what we believe. And, and sometimes we'll even say, oh yeah, this one's good. And then a week later, we'll have these other doubts creep in and these other ones get, the ideas get removed from us. But here's what I want you to understand. And last night I made a baby cry, cry when this all fell down. So if there's any babies in the room, just cover their ears, please. Because I felt horrible last night. <laughs> here's the thing. You pull out the resurrection of the Christian faith, it's like taking the bottom four rows of this thing out. And what are you left with? Nothing. Nothing. Right? Here's what Paul is trying to say to all of us this morning. This resurrection of the dead, it means everything to us. Turn to the person next to you this morning and say, you need the resurrection, baby. Because it means everything. It means everything to us. And so what I want to spend the rest of the time with now, with you this morning, is telling you two things. Number one, what does the resurrection actually mean? What does it mean? What difference does it make in our life? And the other thing I want to tell you this morning is you're not crazy for believing it. I want to give you three reasons this morning why you are not crazy for rationally believing that there was a guy that lived on this earth who was crucified, died, and three days later, nobody could find his body. Right? You look at the historical research, it adds up. But first, I want to tell you what this resurrection means for us. Number one, I want to tell you this, that, that through the resurrection, that Jesus Christ himself has saved you from your past. Jesus has saved you from your past. Jesus' mission on this planet was to seek and to save the lost. Right? It was to rescue those who had been lost. And by the way, if you're wondering, that's all of us. Right? All of us are in need of a savior. And to do this, Jesus came to sacrifice himself for our sins. John chapter one, uh, the disciples see him uh, and somebody looks over and they says, behold, the lamb of God. Behold, the lamb of God. Well, you might be thinking, okay, that's interesting. And we just sang a song this morning, the lion and the lamb, right? Does that mean like Jesus is really cute and cuddly and all those things? Well, I mean, yeah, maybe a little bit, at least sweet little baby Jesus, right? Really cute and cuddly. But it means so much more than that. You see, a lamb was, was the imagery that was used in the actual sacrifice that was presented in, in the Old Testament for atonement for sins, right? It was the blood of the lamb or the sacrifice that allowed uh, God to have relationship with us. And eventually, Jesus is going to come. He's going to offer his own life as a sacrifice once and for all. And so he is the sacrifice. He is the lamb. As he dies on the cross, he is the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sins that, that reunifies with God in a relationship with him. But here's the thing. This cross, this cross means nothing without the resurrection coming right after it, right? Because the key ingredient in Jesus being the lamb of God is the fact that he's the son of God, that he's God himself. And what proof do we have that Jesus was the son of God First and foremost, you have to point to the resurrection. It's the resurrection that allows this to become anything other than a bloody disaster, right? This story turns from a failed Messiah being torn down off a cross, pretending to be God, to the king of the universe when his body is raised from the grave. 
It's in the resurrection that the king gets coronated, that Jesus is, is, is given the authority and the power, right? That we finally can see and can apprehend just how powerful he really was. I mean, if, if he can conquer death, then he can conquer anything, right? And so this is what makes the cross uh, stand for what it means today. Hebrews 7 talks about this. It talks about because Jesus lives forever, right? His priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever, right? We always say once and for all, but once and forever is a fantastic way to talk about it, right? It's going to keep going and going and going. Because Jesus is alive, says he has the ability to save those who come to God through him, right? This is the power of God. Billy Graham puts it like this, though. Jump into the next slide. But because uh, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, Billy Graham says, no right-minded person would have glorified anything so hideous and repulsive as the cross stained with the blood of Jesus. He says this, he says, an unopened grave, an unopened grave would never have opened heaven. Because Jesus has risen the grave, we know he has the power to forgive our sins. So he hasn't just saved you, but he saved you from your past. But there's more to the story than that. Not only has he saved you from the past, he saved you from the present as well. We need the resurrection, not just in looking back, but we need it in our everyday life. Do me a favor this morning. Think about the thing that weighs you down more than anything else right now, <clears throat> right? Maybe for some of us, it's simply, how are we gonna get rid of the snow that's in our driveway? But I'm guessing you got something more, right? I mean, maybe you're struggling with health. Maybe you've got relationships that are under fire. Maybe you're wondering how you're going to provide for yourself very soon from now, right? Maybe you just are feeling alone. Maybe you've got some serious doubts about a lot of things. Whatever it is, I guarantee you, it's part of being human, right? Is walking through this world with a whole lot of things come at us. One author I was just reading recently talks about, I mean, the world is at war, right? Metaphorically speaking, at least with your heart, we are constantly under attack by our spiritual enemies and half the time by our enemies in flesh and blood. I mean, if people are out to get us, right? What is it that's weighing you down these days. Living the life that we were meant to live on its own is impossible. Doing it with the kind of battles that we face day in and day out, it's impossible. And so the reality is that you and I, we need a greater power to be able to work through this life, to live the way that God has called us to live. But not only that, just to stay standing in the brutality of this world that we face all the time. And Jesus tells us in Romans chapter 8 that that same spirit, the same spirit, Romans 8, 11, the spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Right? You want to talk about power this morning. That same spirit who raised Christ Jesus from the dead, it also lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. I was leading a men's group recently out at our West Des Moines campus, and I actually do it online now to a couple different groups, but one of them is online with guys all around the state because uh, we have all these local sites, these new little pockets of people that are springing up around the state and actually around the country now. And I create a way for them all to get together and to start to do life together, talk about what does it mean to live together. And, and recently I had 10 guys in this group and as they're sharing their stories and they're talking about what's going on and the ways that they're struggling and, and wanting to do better for the people in their life, but also for themselves, I just finally just asked the question. I mean, how many of us in this room, right, this virtual chat room video conference thing, but how many of us in this room are battling something right now, right? How many of us are living with pain? And every single one of these guys raised their hands. 
right? There are no exceptions. We all need this kind of power. And this promise from Romans chapter 8, it makes all the difference. How do you know that the, the power of the Holy Spirit is enough to get you through what you need to get through? The proof is in the empty grave. If Jesus can be raised from the dead, then certainly God can handle our Monday mornings. He's at work and he's not only saving you from your past, but this resurrection, it saves us from our present. And of course, we'd be remiss, right, if we didn't talk about the fact that you have been saved for the future. You have been saved from a future that looks incredibly different, right? I mean, our reality, our destiny without Jesus Christ is eternal separation from God. And it doesn't sound pleasant to me at all. Just read the scriptures, right? But just think about also in our present, if we didn't have God's presence, I, sometimes I wonder how do people even make it, right? Funerals look incredibly different when people walk in there with faith and when they walk in with no faith. People weep at funerals when there is no faith. We think about our future reality that's in turn for us, and there are so many different ways that this could turn out, but the reality is that we all have this in common, that one way or another in this life, until Jesus comes back, death is coming for us. This is going to be the most awkward moment of the morning, but here's what I want you to do. Turn the person next to you in the morning and say, you're going to die someday. Go ahead. Just lay it on them, right? For how many of us this morning is that incredibly awkward? Is that awkward? Right? Say somebody you don't know. I mean, you could say it much more crassly than that, right? But here's the thing. We don't like talking about death. I don't want to say that to you. I don't want to say that you're going to die someday, that your days on this planet are numbered, right? But that's the reality. And so the reality is we don't just need, we just don't need the resurrection power for our day-to-day -day right now, but we also need it for the future. And Jesus promises that, us, that for us as well. John 11 Right? This is the story of the raising of Lazarus. Mary and Martha, the two sisters, have sent word to Jesus that their, uh, their brother Lazarus, Jesus' friend, it says in the text, is sick. And so for some reason, Jesus takes a long time to get there, and Lazarus, Lazarus uh, dies. And so the sisters, they're irate. They're frustrated. They're hurt, just as many of us have been when we've lost somebody that we love. And so they meet Jesus on the edge of town, and this is what they say, Lord, if only you had been here. If only you had been here, then our brother would not have died, right? In other words, they're saying, God, where were you? And maybe that's where you are today. Wherever it is that you are, though, this is Jesus' response, and I want us to hear this as well. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. That anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Not only that, Revelation gives us a picture that the best is yet to come. Revelation 21, uh, the Apostle John gets a vision of the end of the story, right? If you, if you need a source of hope, one of the best things you can do, right, is, is to pay attention. If you know how the story is going to end, then that allows you to relax, right, and to have some confidence and some hope as you move forward. And in and, and Revelation 21, we get a picture of the end of the story, John writes this, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these things are gonna be gone forever. If I could add one thing, no more mosquitoes, right? I mean, doesn't that just sound like heaven on earth? But the reality is that there's going to be a day, Jesus tells us, we're not going to need to go to funerals anymore. 
We're not going to need doctors anymore. We're not going to need to do half the work that we have to do now because the world's not going to be broken. It's going to be back the way that it should be. But how do we know that this is possible? How is it that we can believe God's promise for the future for us? It's only possible if Jesus has the power to be raised from the grave. And if that power is available and, and, and work with us. And what Paul is telling the Corinthians is that absolutely it is available. And it changes everything about the way that you live. But you may be sitting here today saying, what about my doubts? Right? I mean, come on. This is a crazy story. This guy lived. Right? We didn't even have the technology. They didn't even know what CPR was back then. Like, like how could this, a miracle like this possibly have happened? There's, there has to be some way that they slipped through the cracks on this, that Jesus slipped out or his disciples stole his body. There's got to be some logical explanation for the fact that Jesus died and his body has disappeared. You might be sitting here this morning saying, that's fine, go wish upon a star if you want, but I'm going to sit here. I want to tell you this morning, I have at least three things that I have noticed in my research that have led me to believe you're not crazy. You're not crazy. You're not irresponsible. You're not a fool if you believe this resurrection actually happened. And I got a ton of stuff here, and I can't go through all this. I'll tell you, there are a lot of great books out here, people that are far better at this than I am. But here's a couple things that I would tell you. Number one, the historical <coughs> sources documenting this, this resurrection are incredibly sound, right? The, the text is reliable as any uh, first-person accounts that we have today, actually. I mean, they didn't have smartphones and YouTube, so nobody videotaped Jesus, like, you know, raising from the grave or anything. Uh, but in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter's going to preach this. And nobody disagrees with him. Everybody that was in the surrounding neighborhood, even the metro around Jerusalem, they had all heard this story and nobody had any proof at the time. So you have all these people, and Paul's going to tell you later in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to 500 different people in the flesh. Right? So you have all these people and something is going on in this town and nobody's denying it. When the Holy Spirit shows up, they think that everybody's drunk. But when Peter starts talking about the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, nobody thinks he's drunk at that point. No, they, there's logical support to be able to understand this because something happened. Some complain that the Gospels were not written by eyewitnesses, but many of the accounts actually were. Some people will say, but there's too much time that went between uh, when this actually happened and when the Gospels uh, were written and the other uh, resources that we have that, that do this. But even there are historians Right? Credible historians uh, that would say the historian Josephus, for example, chronicles Jesus' death and resurrection within 60 years. Like that's 35 to 65 years is actually one of the better, smaller gaps we have between the historical figures of the time. If you want to prove that the Roman emperor Augustus Caesar existed, right? You're not going to find any better numbers than that. Jesus is on par with all the other historical figures of the time, right? People will say, well, there, there, there weren't that many copies. There's probably just a couple copies, and it's just this little isolated thing. No, there are over 5,400 copies of the New Testament floating around at the time, right? The next uh, highest level total copies of any historical figure of, that was a contemporary of Jesus, less than 10, right? Less than 10. We have over 5,000 because something about this story gripped people. There was something about it that is unparalleled and woke people up. Right? And not only that, if you're going to make all this stuff up, these are the last people that you should have used. You shouldn't have used a bunch of ragtag disciples to tell the story. Right? It probably wasn't the best move to have women discover Jesus' body first, that he was gone. Right? They discovered the empty tomb first because 
in society, it was a far cry from even what we have today, right? They were considered unreliable witnesses at the time, as tragic as that is. There were also resources and accounts inside the church, in other words, the disciples themselves, but also outside. There were atheists, right, or worshipers of Caesar that also accounted that this must be the truth, the reality that happened. All kinds of other things, right? Hallucinations. Some people say maybe they hallucinated, right? But medically speaking, you cannot induce hallucinations, unless you take LSD probably, but I don't know. But, but what, what they notice here, it's like hallucinations never happen in large groups. They're always <coughs> individual incidents. So that's enough to say the historical sources documenting this are sound. The second reason I'd give you you're not crazy this morning, at least when it comes to believing the resurrection, is that we can't find Jesus' body anywhere, right? Some people say he never died. The reality is that he was mortally wounded. The blood and water separating that the text documents as it came out of his side medically attests to this fact. Uh, People would also say uh, that, well, maybe the soldiers let him escape, but they paid with their lives for this empty grave. Their motivation was to stay alive, right? The Roman army was ruthless, One of the funniest facts in this whole thing, though, was that the grave clothes were neatly folded, right? Some people say, well, maybe Jesus just escaped on his own. Why would he take the time to fold his laundry? I find that so hard even to do on a daily basis for myself, right? If Jesus is sneaking out of the grave, I don't think he's going to do this. Does this sound like an escape? No. And the government, some people say the government stole him, but that doesn't make any sense at all because as you saw in that movie uh, that I showed you the clip for, Risen, that uh, it, it chronicles uh, one possible scenario of how Rome pursued and tried to recover Jesus' body to put down this rebellion as they saw it, this Jesus movement as we would call it today. But the third reason you're not crazy is just look at the transformation, right? The people who followed Jesus, who invested their lives in this, risked everything, whipping, stonings, hunger, shipwreck, beatings, poverty, imprisonment, even death by crucifixion. Hundreds of people, if not thousands, died for their faith. And why would this work? Why would this happen? How can we go all of these years without anybody recounting and saying, here is what actually happened? How do you explain this movement, this little movement of this Jewish rabbi and 12 disciples exploding into this worldwide phenomenon we're still a part of thousands of years later? How do you explain that unless something supernatural happened and took it and blossomed it into the movement that we experience today. When you ask yourself, did Jesus rise from the dead? Again, the most important question you'll ever ask, there are solid reasons for believing this. There's credible ideas. Now, does it require faith? Absolutely, right? But so does believing that the resurrection never happened because there's inconclusive proof either way. These questions, they hold up to the test. God is faithful. He's given us his word and he's gonna continue to help us wrestle with this. But the even more important question today isn't did Jesus rise from the dead, but perhaps the most important question, if it's true, what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? And the reality is that it changes everything. It changes everything. What Jesus set out to do on the cross, it worked. He gave us salvation, eternal life. He gave us a larger story. He gave us hope. He gave us something to live for. There's a new king on the throne, and his name is Jesus. And this is incredibly good news for today, right? For our past, for our present, and for our future, it changes everything. And there's a reason why we're still talking about this and studying this story here in 2019, because it's powerful. 
Not only does it have the power to change everything we know about ourselves in the world that we're living in, but it also gives us the power to draw us in. It draws us into the story, which is exactly what happens to Clavius, the main character in the movie Risen. As he's investigating, as he's a Roman soldier that's working to find Jesus' body, to put the disciples in jail, inevitably he gets sucked into the story for himself. Inevitably he finds himself in a place he never thought he would on the the coast of the Sea of Galilee, hanging out with the disciples, beginning to wonder if it's true. As you watch his final journey of faith, this is the final scene of the film. I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. I'm going to spoil it for you. Newsflash, Jesus raised from the dead. Didn't see that coming, did you? But here's what I want you to think about. As you watch this final clip, what would you have done in that moment, right? If you're examining the evidence in real time, what would your conclusion be? And not only that, what would it and what does it mean for the life that you live today? If the resurrection is true, what does it mean for you? Let's take a look. He says things will never be the same, and that is the gospel reality. That's the resurrection reality. This is what Paul talks about as he wraps up 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. Right? We will not die, he says, but we'll all be transformed. It'll happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. You see, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us the victory over sin and death through Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, right? Paul is wrapping all this up to his brothers and sisters in Corinth. This is what he says. He says, be strong and immovable, right? Don't lose your foundation. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing that you ever do for the Lord is useless. Strong and immovable, that's the way that we are allowed to live through the power of the resurrection. We live this way as we're rooted in Him and in His story that we cannot find His body. And that in fact, God is on the move and has the power to take care of whatever is in front of us, even our death. So as we wrap up this morning, we don't want to just talk about this, but we want to give you the opportunity to worship this God who's stronger, who's more powerful than anything else, who doesn't just give you a wish upon a star kind of story, but gives you the opportunity to live with a living hope. So as we stand now, as we sing this song, I invite you to pour your heart out to God and figure out what it is that he has to say to you. Let's stand and let's worship this morning.